Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 340. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm thrilled to introduce our guest, Rosie Aiello. Rosie is a woman's empowerment leader from 11 Hours to Freedom and has a phenomenal story. But before we jump in, and Rosie, hi, I'll be right back. I just want to invite you all listeners to rate and review the podcast because stories like Rosie's and I would hope the overall mission of the podcast deserves to be shared and your rate and review will get us in front of a bigger audience. But Rosie, thank you so much for being here. We know this has taken way too long to get to, not just through my intro, but my reschedules, life, everything. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, Kim, it is so much fun to be with you. (laughs) I can't wait. Me neither. Rosie, I know your story, but listeners don't. Can you take us on a journey to where you are today? Yes, sure. And um, and I really liked in the intro where you said that, you know, this is something to be shared. And I just, even before I start, uh, would really want to encourage your listeners to do that. Because I know that, you know, my story may be just the thing that's that somebody else needs to hear to help them move forward. I believe in this pretty passionately. So I, about eight and a half years ago now, I engineered an international escape from the Middle East to save my daughter and myself from domestic violence. And, you know, leading up to that was quite a journey. I had been married for almost 25 years. We were we spent about half the time in Saudi Arabia, where my uh, daughter, my only daughter, was born, and then we spent about the other half in Beirut, Lebanon. And prior to getting married, I was a successful finance manager in corporate high tech companies in Silicon Valley. I was doing just quite fine. I was fully functioning, and then really from the very beginning, I was in a very emotionally, psychologically, mentally abusive relationship, but I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. And then I was, after we were married, it was a financially abusive relationship. So here I was moved to the Middle East right after we got married. I was isolated physically, you know, geographically from my family and my friends. And it was a big adjustment, but you know, I'm kind of adventurous. You go with the guy you love, right? But then you know, I just started getting all these, you know, little, you know, do it this way. And, you know, don't do then he was always getting angry at me for just the slightest thing. And I just couldn't understand. And, and, you know, being in a highly competitive industry in the the high tech, it was like, well, I can do this, have me do it. And And I would just step up and just try to be a better wife. But as the time passed, um, it got harder and harder. And then he started to treat my daughter the same way 
But again, I was married, Kim, for 18 years before I even knew I was in an abusive relationship. I didn't have the vocabulary. I, I didn't, I just didn't know, you know, and I have an MBA, you know, we're all smart women, but we get, when they're manipulative like this, uh, narcissistic and sociopathic, you're just not expecting this person that's supposed to love you to mistreat you. So it's not, you know, wasn't in my radar. Rosie, I had the same, I wasn't out of the country and I certainly wasn't around the globe, but I went through the same. So I'm over here nodding. I need to be better about that. You know, as a child, I remember nodding on the phone. I can't hear you, Kim. I know listeners, you can't hear me, but I, everything is just hitting home. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just so, so sad. I mean, I'm such on a, such a big mission. So we got here July 27th, 2009. That's now considered my Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leading up to that, you know, there's a, a whole nother story. But I'll tell you, when, you know, there was a point before it's like, I don't need to be a martyr. I have one life, one friggin' life to live, and I'm going to live it. Yeah. Um, and then to kind of keep me going, because even though I knew, you know, by then how he was mistreating us, I still had so much guilt. And of course, I was was filled with shame from the get go. So for, you know, almost 20 years, 25 years, I was living in shame, that which is also holding me back. But I was constantly telling myself, you know, during the planning process of the escape, you know, my daughter and I deserve a happy and joyful life. Just to like, just kind of keep going, you know, talk about positive productivity, just to keep that focus that I deserve this. And that's the other message, you know, to share with these other women, you you deserve this, you don't deserve ever to be mistreated. So when I got back, my daughter and I had you know, PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, depression, anxiety. My daughter has complex PTSD, which is like another deeper, worse level. And, you know, when I first arrived, it was, all I wanted to do was get out. It was like, I had no thinking of what was going to happen when I arrived. (laughs) It was like, I, I didn't do any of that kind of thinking. It was just like, get me out and I'll worry about the details later. I was the same way. Yeah. 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 Because it's like you're on, you know, just get out mode. And I was fortunate that my brother was instrumental in helping me get out. And I was able to stay with him and his family for the first few months that we were in the United States before I was able to get my own place and to, you know, start filing for divorce. And because I wasn't a resident, I'm in California, and I wasn't a resident of California, so I couldn't file for divorce right away. I had to file for legal separation. And there's a lot of details behind all of this. And then it was like, okay, you're here, Rosie. Now what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to make money? And I had been out of, you know, high tech for, you know, almost 25 years. 2009, if you recall, it was the middle of the deep great recession we had so here i was out of the country you know for such a long time at my profession old you know i was in my late you know my late 50s by then and then i started to go around what do i do getting classes doing certain things and then kind of stumbled stumbled upon um 
uh, organization, you know, being organized and stuff like that. Because let me tell you, as you probably know, it takes a lot to do an international escape, <laughs> especially with a husband who lives there 24-7. Yeah. As I look back, we're writing, uh, my daughter and I are writing a joint memoir. So it's, it's called 11 Hours to Freedom. And it's, you know, it's that journey. And we want it from a point of view of a wife, a mother, and a child. So you see that perspective. But, you know, no easy feat. I, I, I look back and I'm like, how, how did I do this? <laughs> Rosie, I have to interrupt you, too, because I know more of this, of your story than listeners, than some listeners probably do. It's not like Not Without My Daughter, where she got away and then took the flight back and, you know. You were in the company of your husband the whole 11 hours. Yes. Yes, I was. So basically, I had I outsmarted him. We came to the United States every summer for summer holiday because that's where all my family is here, you know, in California. And we, so as I was planning it, I thought, you know, he because in the, in the Middle East, Technically, you know, I can't travel without him, even though Lebanon is a more progressive country than the other Middle Eastern countries. But still, you know, I couldn't really just pack up and go. And anybody who's in an abusive situation uh, should know if they don't know, you never, ever, like ever tell the abuser you're going to plan to leave. So that's step one. I couldn't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm taking my daughter. We're leaving. It's like, no way. And Lebanon is such a tiny country, Kim, that... I, it's not like I could just like, even if I could have gone without him, I couldn't go to like the travel agent and say, oh, you know, book me a flight because he could have known somebody, you know, my last name is his last name. And it's like, oh, just you and your daughter are going. I mean, people talk. So I had to be just ultra, uh, ultra careful. So what I did is I planned the the escape when we would normally go. So we went Beirut, Paris, because there are no direct flights to the United States from Beirut, Lebanon. We went Beirut, Paris. We spent a couple, you know, days just lay over there for a few days, and then Paris, San Francisco. And let me tell you, on that flight from Paris to San Francisco, I was like, my heart was beating so loudly. I thought, oh my god, he's gonna he's gonna hear my heart beating. No, I'm up to something, you know. And it's like. And even if he knew what difference it would have made, I, but I wasn't thinking that way. Yeah. So we arranged for my brother to meet me at the airport. I knew exactly where he would be in the crowd when you go through those international gates. I mean, everything was planned to the T. And my brother went up to him and said, Rosie's upset with you. She needs to leave you a little bit. I couldn't even say I'm leaving him. I was so terrified of him. I was just scared to death of him. And then my daughter and I had our own little luggage carts and we went behind my brother, turned around and walked away and left him standing in the middle of the airport. Listeners, for those of you who are listening and may just be wondering, you know, how could you do that? What I need to say is that unless you've, I mean, and and like Rosie, I was in in an emotionally abusive relationship for 13 years. And it took at least a decade for me to figure it out. I, I realized, well, maybe not that long, five years. I knew after my first son was born that I was being cut off from my family. Things like not being able to drive the car to go see them. The stroller would 
accidentally wind up in my ex-husband's car every time my family was coming to visit so that we would have no choice but to stay at home. And the car seats would always go too so that we couldn't go out. And anytime I would get on a phone call, there was always something more hectic that needed to be addressed at home. I was cut off from my family. And as time went on and I realized I was unhappy, it was always my fault. Right. what I was told. And when I started expressing my displeasure and that, you know, this really wasn't a good situation, I was told I couldn't leave. Mm -hmm. And when it turned abusive towards my sons physically, they were too, I, I couldn't get them out of the house to take them to the police station. And when I would go on my own, the police would say it was hearsay because they were not with me. They said I could be making up things. And he has changed now, or at least I hope he has. And there are people who have heard my story and say that I'm lying, including his new wife. You know, she'll she'll say that it's horrible that I'm spreading these lies, but it's not lies. You deserve to be happy in every single part of your life, from your romantic relationships to your business relationships, every single part. And when you're not, you deserve to be able to take action one way or another in a legal manner. I The only reason I put that in is because don't kill the person, you know, but you deserve to be happy. So if you're realizing that you're being shut off from your whole life and just made to feel like crap all the time, you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, this is great, Kim. You know, like you, I was nodding the whole way. And and I think part of the issue is that women, we just keep making excuses like we don't want to rock the cart. It was mm-hmm. like, well, we could try again. You know, well, they are so nice some of the times. And I think I would just say, you know, you can tell me if this was the case for you. It's like I just always felt so bad. You know, he's my stomach was upset. He was always like you blaming me for everything. You know, it's like I would listen to it. And then your mind just started to go berserk because you knew it wasn't the truth, but he was telling you you're wrong. And so you get all these conflicting thoughts going, going around in your mind, which is called gaslighting, right? When they change the reality, they, they change the facts and make it look like you've forgotten it or it's all wrong or whatever. And you start to doubt yourself. And then that doubt gets bigger and bigger. And then, then you don't know who or what to believe. Well, I guess it is me. It must be wrong. But it's so important, like the example you gave, like these, oh, well, geez, it's just so coincidental every time, you know, baby's carriage was just, you know, not available or the car seats were, you know, taken out. And it's like, it looks like it's innocent at the moment. Like, oh, it's, and they'll say, oh, I just did this. But it's not. They are controlling you. And let me tell you, as much as you think you may love them or they love you, it's not about love. And I think that's the hardest thing, too. It's like everyone wants to be loved. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about you. It's like they're incapable of loving. At least mine is. Yeah. Mine is incapable of loving me and my daughter the way we deserve to be loved. You know, to be heard, to be understood, to have empathy, to have compassion. He's unable to fulfill those basic values. My favorite, and of course, it's a sarcastic way of putting it, was when I would say something like, I'm feeling like, or I feel, and I would be told you're wrong. Yes. You're wrong. That's not how it is. And da, 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 da. Well, no, I'm not wrong. This is how I'm feeling. 
you know, or in my first entrepreneurial journey, I had gone into sleep deprivation and listeners, there will be a link to this in the show notes. And I was suicidal because of Mm -hmm. sleep deprivation. Mm -hmm. But rather than show love and compassion and try to help me work through it, I was, he had me involuntarily committed to the mental hospital and then contacted a divorce attorney while I was in there. We didn't get divorced. He, he didn't go through with it then. But that was like the huge eye opener of, wow, you know, I'm feeling like I could kill myself. And there's not even a how can I support you? It's just a, you can't stay at home. I don't trust you. You're going to the hospital. Right. So, yeah, it all got a lot more clear. So what did it look like after got to America and where has it taken you now? Well, it's really interesting. I, you know, in the very beginning, it was, you know, I started, actually started a time management productivity business and I'll never forget, I had designed my website and then I was crying for days because I thought, once I hit that button publish, he's going to know everything. You know, I felt like I was being naked in front of him. I didn't care about the whole world. All I was like, whatever, what is his thinking? So it took a lot of nerve to get to become public. And I just kept reminding myself, you know, I'd look out the window and just say, you know what? I love my freedom. And, you know, that's more important than anything. And I just had to keep taking one step at a time, one step at a time. I started speaking. I started networking. Uh, Within four years of my business, I won an international uh, award for business. It's like, you know, all these great things are starting to happen. And then last year, you know, every time we talk to somebody about our story, they say, oh, my God, it needs to be a book. It needs to be in a movie. I mean, your story is just so incredible. And so finally last year, we, my daughter and I decided to go ahead and write our memoir. And that's when everything just totally changed. I felt like I was just put in this tumbler and rocked around and just and then spit out. And I'm going, I go, and, I'm, and then I had, I had the conversation with God. Have you had a conversation with God? <laughs> I mean, people a have lot. told me. Yeah. Well, people told me, oh, you know. You know, you you know, you got to look for your purpose and all that. And I thought, and they and they always say, "Oh, you you teach what you need to learn." And I thought, God, you know, I'm really good at time management, productivity. I don't I don't know what they're talking about. But when the memoir started, for me, it was just uh, you know to fulfill you know the request by others and everything else. Okay, we'll write the story to help other women. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about getting back at him. It was nothing. You know, it was just to help women and get this message out. But there was a huge transformation that happened. And it was almost a year ago when, did you know that God has a temper? (laughs) I know that God has a sense of humor. That's how I wound up with twins. But I didn't know that God has a temper. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, he just gave me a talking to, and I mean, it was like, look, Rosie, I chose you for this. I go, well, look, I agreed to write the book. I didn't agree to go on, you know, help these other women and other things. He goes, are you arguing with me? Oh, I love that. I love this whole conversation. 
I go, oh, well, you know, kind of, well, no, but I mean, he goes, who do you think is going to win this? I go, well, I guess you are. <laughs> you know? and they're just like, And I was digging my heels in for a long time. I mean, I couldn't even say the words. I'm on a mission. I'm on a global mission with my daughter to save a million women and their children from domestic violence. Mm. I couldn't have said that even a year ago, but... I've stepped into this and now it's a mission and it's like, you can't get me off the train. And I believe so deep in my heart that no woman, no, nobody, especially the children should have to suffer like this, you know, and it's not our job. We can't love them into it. It's not our job to fix them, but it's our job to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And I know how incredibly hard it is to get out I know that I was in there for 25 years. So I know, I know the sacrifices women make for their children. You know, we do that. And yet I know that there is hope, that there is change. And I'm going to do my share, my part to help, help these women. Well, I hope you know that even if it takes us 15 tries to get a date that works right for our podcast... I will support you in anything I can do. I have to tell you, one of the reasons why I haven't been more vocal about my own struggle was because I hope for the sake of his new wife that he has changed. I don't share his name mm-hmm. ever. Right. I hope that he's changed and I don't want to. We all make mistakes, right? But if we change, then we don't want people to judge us on them. But I do believe that any woman who is with somebody who is like that deserves to get out. So I haven't been more vocal just because it wouldn't be difficult for anybody to figure out who I was talking about. Right. But it's not fair to not say anything because there are people who are sitting. If what's unfortunate is that there's people who can't listen to this right now. Because their significant other has such a control over them that everything that they listen to or look at on the internet is constantly being monitored. And that's where I found myself. I I ended up having my internet shut off from my own computer inside my own house because he went into the back end and firewalled any of the sites that I would go to. And it's sad that people can do that. And yes, I'm not, I've looked into ways to, for how to do that for my children when they're grounded. You know, you didn't do this, so you're going to lose your Wi-Fi access today. But for a husband or wife, and I'm, I'm going to expand it to wife, to do that as if their significant other is a child, and, and I'm not even say, saying child in a way that they should be treated like that, is despicable. Yeah, I agree with you. And and yes, it, it goes both directions. I just focus on women because mm-hmm. that's you know my my mm-hmm. uh, my target, but it's so true and it's just so sad and how we can and, and then for women, I don't want women to take on that they're at fault yeah. because it's so easy, you know, especially the abuser just can twist your mind so easily and then you come out thinking it's all your fault and to know that being abused is not your fault. It's never about that. 
And, you know, my mission is to really to create kindness in the family. If we can't be kind, then it's it's so easy to just to, you know, to, to lash out. But that's not where we sh- should be. You know, love is kind. It's not terrorizing. It doesn't mean that, oh, if you get upset or something, you're an abuser or whatever. No. You, you look at the patterns. Is there a consistent pattern? Is there a pattern of, of them blaming and shaming and yelling and, and doing more aggressive acts on a consistent basis? And what I mean is that also there's moments, right? It's like a roller coaster, right, Kim, where they're the greatest, sweetest, you know, most wonderful person. And that's what creates the doubt. Well, they're really sweet. Well, everybody gets upset and gets angry and has that. But then you start to see the pattern. And then look inside yourself, how you really feel deep inside. Mm -hmm. The one that's supposed to love and care for you, make you feel like you're a piece of dirt and worth nothing. I mean, my husband would sit me with my 10-year-old child and yell at me just at the same time as her. I was treated exactly like a child. Yeah. I get it. Wow. I remember being pregnant with my oldest and craving ice cream. Imagine that, a pregnant woman craving ice cream, right? (laughs) And being told I was already too big and there was no way I was getting ice cream. Yeah. It's like, and then it was a hot summer and we lived in a brick oven is how I'll put it outside of New York City. And I wanted to turn on the air conditioner. No, we're not spending money on the air conditioner for you just because you're that big. Thinking back now, I just can't imagine because I will do anything I possibly can to make sure those I love are comfortable, not just comfortable, but amazingly comfortable. And to me, that's how it should be. I mean, we can't, I'm not saying that if money is limited, that we can just go and spend lavishly. But if there's something that we can do in any given moment, I mean, even just getting up and saying, do you want a glass of water? But that would have been something that would have never occurred. Can I get you something, sweetie? No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this is so true. And I I think, you know, part of, you know, the goal of the memoir is to highlight, you know, what it is like, because sometimes it just seems so subtle or you start making excuses, you know, you know, as a wife, it's like, oh, well, you know, he does it once in a while or okay, we needed to save money. You know, we mm-hmm. start to validate their behavior, but yeah. if you, you look at it, there's no empathy. I mean, you're you're pregnant. Oh, my gosh, you know, and it's hot. I mean, even if it's cold, you're hot, right? Oh, yeah. Right? So you're uncomfortable. You're just, just like, give me a glass of cold water, put a cold cloth on my face, my forehead, you know. But they... It's all about them and you serving them and you making them comfortable and you showing to the world how great you are and having the difference between inside the four walls and outside. And my ex-husband, he was not, he was not an alcoholic. He wasn't physically abusive. I don't just say except for a couple of times, but not really wouldn't characterize that. He wasn't a drug addict. He wasn't a gambler. He didn't have any what you would call the normal vices. He was a good, outstanding guy, you know, in the community. So who's going to believe me? 
when all of the evidence is for him. Right. And speaking to women all over the world on this, it's like they all fit into the same box. So it doesn't matter. You know, yes, my husband, my ex-husband was Arab, but most of the data is from American men, you know, Western studies. And I've spoken to women, like I said, all over the world, they're going, it's, they're exactly the same. You know, they fit into the same box of labeling, right? Of, you know, their, their characteristics, I should say, not labeling, but characteristics. And what I also know, Kim, is that you look at me, you look at you, you look at any woman, and you would never know that we were abused or we are being abused. If that right. was the case, right? We look normal. Right. Uh, You know, no ethnicity. There's no economic background. There's no educational background that divides us. It's or it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anybody. Yeah. So that's the other thing, you know, for the book is like, gosh, I just wanted to get in every woman's hand because you don't know, you know, who may be suffering. Like my brother didn't know for the longest time. But if he got the book, maybe he would have started to ask some questions. Or gave it to any female that you know. Because they don't usually tell you. Because they're hiding in so much shame. They just, they're being strangled by their own shame. They're creating a prison within a prison. They're they're imprisoned by their husband or their spouse. And by themselves because of their shame. And gosh, this is your only life. That just makes me incredibly sad. What was the final straw for you? The final straw, which is which is what will be in the book too, is I was waiting for my daughter. Um, I told her when she was in high school, look, because that's when I found out that I was in an abusive relationship, that the way your father's treating you is not right. And when you're ready to leave, just, you know, kind of let me know because I knew she wasn't happy, but I just didn't know. And I, I couldn't leave her or, or the Middle East before she turned major because he has automatic custody. It's not like here in the court, so you get custody and you need to fight over the there's, there's no fight. It just goes to him. So for sure, I had to wait till she turned 18. So when she was in college, she was in her junior year, and she just came storming home one day, and she said, Mom, you got to get me away from my abusive father. And so within four months, I planned the escape of our lives. Wow. Wow. I was unemployed when I left. I mean, you were unemployed. You were out of country. Obviously, you didn't have a job. And I had used that as my excuse for so long. Well, I don't have money. Yes. Well, I I can't say I was unemployed. I had my own company then. Completely different company than I have now, but I was only making a quarter a day. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, it will be better when. Yes. And same as you, I, w- I was thinking, or same as what you mentioned before, I was thinking, okay, maybe if I could just learn to be a better cook. Listeners, you've heard I still burn dinner. That's not going to happen, <laughs> you know, but maybe if I, maybe if I just put some more time and effort into making meals, you know, maybe he would appreciate that more. But then I realized even when I did, it didn't matter. I was still doing it wrong, always doing it wrong. And I won't, I'll, I'm just going to spare the details. But it, then it became abusive physically to my boys. Mm-hmm. And that was my final straw. Yeah. Because I realized, I number one, I couldn't allow them to face that anymore. And number two, I couldn't 
allow them to possibly grow up thinking that that was okay because right. it's not okay. And to this day, they don't want to drive down the street that we lived on because they remember those things. Aww. And we're still in the same town. And amazingly, their dad only lives a block and a half from where we live. But they don't want to go down that street that we lived on together. How do you ensure safety after <laughs> leaving? You came in from a whole different country. I just moved to another part of town, but we still faced our own security questions and struggles. And do you feel safe now is I guess what I'm asking. It's a really, really good question. There's some things I can't reveal, but I always have to keep looking over my shoulder and I'm always seeking safety. So it's not like I'm here because with the internet, there's so easy access. I mean, he hired a security consultant from the Middle East. Uh, I was stalked. I'm still being stalked. I'm, I'm continuously being stalked. I'm being trashed on the internet. He hired somebody. He hired a U.S. lawyer who called my Facebook friends to see if they knew anything about my daughter. My daughter was almost 21. Remember I told you she was a junior at the university. She was almost 21 when we arrived. And he thinks I kidnapped her. So I'm constantly getting contacts from, from everybody about, you know, from all around, you know. Yeah. From, so I've had to just keep shutting down, you know, blocking, off, blocking him from, you know, all of my social media. He gets his friends to contact us. I mean, it's just like, nonstop. We just got something just yesterday. You know, we've been out eight years. So safety is always uh, important. And I don't take my freedom for granted. And I don't take my safety for granted. I don't feel like he will ever do anything to me personally. I know he wants contact with his daughter, which she doesn't want. You know, I've been accused of parental alienation and everything else. What I remind my daughter and when I remind myself is that she and I know the truth. Nobody else knows the truth like we do. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I don't care what anybody else says. I know the truth and I'm not budging. But it takes a lot of courage and strength to stand in that because you're being constantly, I was at least, badgered by people. Well, just talk to him. Just this, just that, you know, just do that. And just like, you're the greatest couple and, you know, goes on and on. So yes, safety, you know, he found out my emails. I mean, there was one, he got onto my mailing list because, you know, like you, I have my own business under a false name. I found him by chance. Is he on my mailing list again? Probably. But I'm not going to live my life in fear. Yeah. But still, I'm careful. Yeah. I'm very careful. Wow. Because he has the money. He could just hire somebody and, and knock me off. I was afraid of that when we first arrived. I was thought, oh my God, he's going to hire somebody and they're just going to run me off the road. It's going to look like an accident. Well, <laughs> you know, but I have to say living in an abusive relationship to me would be worse than that fear. Oh my gosh. There is no comparison to my freedom that I have now yeah. to that fear. You yeah. know, I wouldn't, but you know, absolutely. That's why, you know, I look outside and I see my freedom. I get to create my life, Kim, just like you. You get to create your life. And I know women who are in it like think, oh, are you freaking, you know, they can't see beyond. And I couldn't either. 
you know, this is what I help women with. But I, I couldn't see that. I couldn't even stand to look at a man when I first arrived. But to have the freedom, this is what you want to have freedom of your agency, of who you are. There's nothing, in my opinion, more important than that. To have your own voice, to be validated in your thoughts and your beliefs. And if they're not, you know who not to hang around with. Right. And I'm sure you and I have both let go of other people who didn't support us, who were also negative or toxic. I minimize my viewing of the news. I'm like eliminate as much negativity around, you know, talk about positive productivity, you know, I eliminate as much negativity and surround myself with positive energy, I would say. Yes. I don't find out about news unless somebody says it, or if I just accidentally happen to glance Mm -hmm. at the sidebar on Facebook, which I try with all my might not to do. I wish I could delete that news box. It's not doable. But yes, the toxic people, if there's chronically negative people posting on Facebook who are part of my friends list, they're gone mm-hmm. when I realize it because I don't need that. None of us need it. Right. And when they've been family who I couldn't just, you know, unfriend, then I've unfollowed. And you listeners have the power to do it as well. Yeah. Yeah, again, just as a reminder to your listeners, if, you know, just to forward this to any woman you know, because, I mean, nobody knew I was in an abusive relationship. So you're just not going to know. You're going to think, oh, you know, even could be your sister, you know, your aunt, your cousin. You don't know because they're hiding it. They're, you know, living in such shame. So I would encourage you to think outside and just like, yeah, I'll pass this on and just like, hey, this is just an interesting one with no intent because you don't know. <laughs> but it might help somebody's life. But, you know, just for them to hear the message, you deserve a happy and joyful life, you know, to be fully expressed. And this impacts the family. Like for me, it's like if we can create a kinder family and create a kinder community and city and country, we are... Everybody benefits. So why can't we switch to a win-win instead of a lose-lose? Yeah. You know, you're, the woman becomes more confident. Her children see her fully expressed and confident. They grow up more confidently. They are more productive. This is, there's an economic cost. There's dual economic cost to this. The more abuse there is, the more cost there is to, you know, for therapy and, and, and the woman and the, or whoever's involved just getting their, their life back. Then there's the, you know, how can you be productive and fully functioning in any kind of work you're doing if you are internally just like beating yourself up or you're so beaten down from your home life, you can't focus well on your work. So it impacts your your productivity at work, right? There's huge cost to this. I never thought about that before. You are so right, though. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you heard me, you know, and I'm going to mention this. I mean, I lived in the Middle East for 25 years. You know, believe me, I've seen a lot of terrorism over there, (laughs) you know, firsthand political terrorism, military terrorism. And to me, living in this abusive situation was living in terror. So my goal is to end family terrorism because no woman, no person, no child, no child should ever have to live living in terror. I don't know how I can say anything after that. 
because it's, I could just cry thinking about my children having to ever experience anything like that again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's children, you know, and, and, and fortunately it's going to be the women. We have to be stronger and just pull up and disrupt and get Mm -hmm. out of the relationships and, as hard as you think it's impossible. And I know there's women who all lose my children and, and these are risks and we just have to keep fighting to help them. But they yeah. can do that without getting, uh, you know, the riot act right on them now. Mm-hmm. Rosie, for any woman who is out there dealing with this, how can they get in touch with you? And listeners, if you are going through this, if you have a friend who's going through it, a family member, you can send them over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP340 and they can reach out to me. They can reach out to Rosie because I know we'll want to support them in any way we can. But Rosie, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I have a gift and it's just called 11 Keys to Confidently Ask for What You Want and I mean, when my voice was usurped, I didn't know how to ask anything, nothing, you know, it's just like, it's like, how do do I ask to get help to get out even, right? We're so within ourselves. So it's just a guide. And I would love to offer that to your listeners. And they can find that at 11hourstofreedom.com forward slash gift. Awesome. Listeners, that link will be in the show notes again at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP340. Rosie, this has been absolutely amazing. And I don't, this could come out so wrong. I'm so saddened that you went through this. But at the same time, this is going to come out so wrong, but I just had to say it how it's coming up in my head. I'm comforted to know that I am not the only one who's been through this because together, everybody who has been through it and overcome can help make the world a safer place. Yes, it's beautiful because this is what I believe in too, Kim, is that enough with being alone, mm-hmm. you know, to invite these women to, you know, you're not alone to join in and to be together to get the support, you know, just being, it's nothing's worse than being alone. And then your mind starts telling you all these crazy things on top of it. But it's surprising what can come out when you're just supported. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I just want to say one last thing, Rosie, before I ask for your parting piece of advice, listeners, there is no excuse for not having happiness you can leave no matter what your circumstances are. I was broke and unemployed and I left and found happiness. And so can you. Rosie, what would be your last piece of parting advice for listeners? I want to, you know, sort of like it's a piggyback on what you're saying too. It's just like, I just want them to hear one to share this because you don't know who might be in a situation like this. And you probably don't would be my, my assumption based on my experience and that everyone deserves a happy and joyful life that they can create and that they're able to create when they get out, you know, this 
a prosperous, productive, and fully expressed life, that you deserve it. And there is always hope and there is a way and to reach out and get help. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.